0: I lost my virginity to a man who had AIDS and he never told me until after four months of unprotected sex. I didn't want anybody to know that I was soon going to die from the AIDS virus. Um, My plan was to elope with him and just, you know, disappear off the face of the earth basically. That's how I come to know the Lord. He spoke to me in a dream. He told me to tell him not to go. And um, at first, that voice was like unfamiliar. It sounded wise, like I need to listen to that voice. However, I was, you know, pretty determined. I heard it again, tell him you're not going. I said, maybe this is cold feet. Maybe I'm thinking twice. At the third time, it was very firm, saying, tell him you're not going. And at that instance, I was standing before the gates of hell seeing all my friends and family burning in the lake of fire. I woke up startled. My face was like wax, like that it woke my boyfriend up at the time and he says, what happened? I said, God just spoke to me in a dream and he told me to tell you that I'm not going, so I'm not going. And he was startled, like what do you mean God spoke to you? And he used to tell me if he couldn't have me that nobody would and he Lifted his fist to hit me. I was 18. He was 32. I was 19. He was 32 So at that time I just fell to my knees I didn't know God, but I was like God if you're real and you spoke to me take this man out of my life And I don't ever want to see him again because that was the man who tried to kill me and um, It happened just like that a year later. He ended up dying from full-blown AIDS and I never saw him again. Although he would call and torment me saying he's coming back for me, that this is love, I never felt so at peace to hear that somebody died. I felt safe in this world. After that I was single a couple more years and my neighbor, um, my neighbor of 15 years introduced me to her nephew who had just came from the Dominican Republic and he like, was like Pepe Le Pew would always come and say hi how are you how are you and your son I would stay at church on purpose like to 11 o'clock at night on Wednesday nights because this guy was just so persistent we ended up getting married in one year Um, on our honeymoon we got pregnant and we had Eliseo when Eliseo was two months I was pregnant again with Elizabeth but he ended up leaving us when Eliseo was seven months. For two years, he lived with, in this house with his mistress. Um, I didn't even know he purchased this house. Um, he ended up coming back after two years. That's when he met his daughter for the first time. He stayed for eight months. He ended up winning $45,000 and abandoned us a second time with a divorce. We got this house that was abandoned for two years. But when I got here, I didn't know that the house was in foreclosure, owing 7,000 in back taxes. There was a cutoff um, water bill because of his outstanding $700 balance. Um, I ended up losing my job. Um, The house caught fire and it was just like a spiral down. You know, I went into this depression I didn't speak to nobody for a couple years who can understand everything that I was going through. And um, a friend invited me to Metro. She showed me a picture of the playscape and I said, wow, I need help with my kids, anything to get them help because when we first was awarded this house, you know, they didn't wanna come in the house because it, it reminded them of their father. So they were terrified to even come up the stairs and I had to tell them this is our house now. It's safe. We needed something more. So when I seen that playscape, I said I'm gonna take my kids there. And the first day I went there, I was shrinking in my seat because I'm thinking, does the whole audience know that God is singling me out right here, right now? It was so resounding in my spirit. I was ashamed and embarrassed that everybody there knew that God was talking to me. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, this is confirmation. This is this is my home church from now on. This is home. This is God's talking to me. And it hurts. But it hurt because he was dealing directly to my hurt, which needed healing. And then my kids were in the playscape after service, and that was from their trauma. That was like my first vacation you can say because they were playing in the playscape for a few hours and I was just sitting there like I can finally catch a breath and gather my thoughts and get it together a bit. And then I seen how they offered divorce care and divorce care for kids. So we started going to the church and divorce care when I went there. Ironically, I found comfort in a room full of a dozen people who were hurting just like me. And talking about it did bring healing. You know, they started, the person next to me, everybody went around the room and told their story. And when I told my story, I mean, people's jaws were dropping. And, you know, there was a a girl, um, and um, she pointed at at me, and she was like, we all have our story and we're going through, but you are so strong. And I felt like the she like ah, ah. I broke down, I couldn't take it anymore. Two women came and consoled me, prayed for me, hugged me. and But that's when I found you know healing, like wow, I could just be real and just let it out. You know, and um, it, I did find help, you know, by talking about my issues and sharing and being open. December 1st, there was like a turn. Like, I turned a new leaf. We were adopted. Um, um, Metro City Church gave us, you know, the seven families for seven days. They blessed us. Um, The women from divorce care adopted our family for Christmas. I didn't have to spend anything. I was on a fixed income anyways. Um, However, I was offered a job with the Detroit Public Schools as a parent and community engagement monitor getting um, paid $22 an hour. Um, I don't have to depend on anybody to watch my kids. I it's very flexible. You know, I was at my last, I was hanging on by a string, but God really showed up and showed off and He's 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 taking care of us just like he promised. Um I, I call my house the safe house because um when we first moved here my focus was telling my children, look, this used to be his house, but he's no longer here. The judge says that we don't have to be married anymore. Um, and that he's not coming back. So it's just our house. It's just mommy, Hector, Emmanuel, Eliseo and Elizabeth's house. That's it. And, um, when my, my son, he came, he saw the backyard, how big it was, and he was like, what if this became, what if what if this was our church and you were the pastor? And it dropped in my spirit right there in the driveway. Safe house ministries, that's what I'm gonna call it. It's a non-judgmental zone. Um, I take in people, the homeless, um, you know, like my, my blood sister, um, cause she was living in a shelter at the time and I had brought her in and um, What's mine is yours and my home. If I got a home, you got a home. So I just wanted to set that impression, you know, because of the, the background that I came from, just being judged or that you're not going to be judged. It's the love of God that draws people in. And if I have the love of God, you know, I want people to know that um, you can have it too. She says
1: God steps in and steps up. Wow. Y'all with me? Wow. Well, welcome to Metro. I am so glad that you're here. Are you glad you're in church? Glad you're in church. I wanted to give a very special welcome to those joining us via video and online. We are super glad that you're here. Uh, We are in the middle of our series called the Comeback Series. And it's true for every single one of us, you can have life rocking in one area, but falling apart in another. Anybody? Come on, anybody? You can have so much going on over here, but over here, you need a comeback. And so we've been talking about all kinds of areas where we need a comeback. We've been talking about things like our priorities and, and things like finance and health and all of these areas of life where, where we need to dial in and step it up, where we need to come back. And we've been saying with God, with God in the middle of the mix, it is possible. That things can turn around in a big way. So we've been talking about your comeback, and we got a couple more weeks to go on that. But last week, we turned the corner a little bit. Instead of talking about you as an individual, we talked about us as a church. And even as a church, uh, there are times that we can be rocking in so many areas, but in other ways... Uh, we're, we're slipping and we're not where we want to be. And there are some areas that we need to dial back into. And so even as a church, we need to come back. And so we started to talk about these things called values. What do we value as as a church, right? We, we say all the time this idea that uh, we want to be a next steps sort of a church where you, where you move forward no matter who you are or where you are, uh, you can take your next step with God. If you're brand new in the Christian faith or if you've been trying to get it right for 20, 30 years, that you can be challenged to take your next step with God in an area that's safe where you can come and explore those issues of faith. But we did, we, well, we said that that values are different than what we want to become. That's what we want to do. That's what, what, we want, what kind of church we want. But how do you do that? And this is where values come in. right? And, and you get the idea of values. Values are those uh, inner core of a man or a woman that helps determine what is right or wrong for them, what is best for them, uh, where they want to go with their very lives, how they should treat people and how they shouldn't treat people. Values are your, your ethics. right? Values, uh, they represent your inner character. And, and, and not only do people have values, but, but businesses have values that drive them. Organizations have values that drive them. And of course, the church has a set of values that drives it. And sometimes we don't take enough time to talk about what is it that drives us as a church. And I wanted to spend a couple of weeks talking about an area of comeback to our values because they are, they are what drives us. They are the core of who we are. And so last week, we started getting around Uh, a set of values. Anybody here for this? We talked about three values that really are the foundational for who we are. We talked about this idea that truth, love, and growth are three fundamental values that we have. Anybody here for this? You know what I'm talking about? Truth. We talked about this idea of truth that that for us, we, we can't be a people that is driven by the next greatest fad, we cannot be a people that is dictated by Hollywood and pop culture about what is good and right and what is best for us. But there has to be something deeper that anchors our soul, that truth matters. Why? Because God is true. And God is truth. And that God's word is true. And that's what we're going to live by. That's where. That's our standard. You don't need me or anybody else preaching you You know, a, a feel good, kind of a get better on your own type of message. We need God's word as the as the standard of truth for us. You all with me on this? But we said that that truth must be wrapped up in a big fat burrito of love, right? That, that you take all of the truth, but you could, take, you could have nothing but truth, but if you have love, you do not have love, you have nothing, right? That, that, that they will not know, the world will not know our truth, they will not even hear our truth if they do not hear that we care about them, that we love them. And so, truth must be delivered with this thing called love. It, it ought to be the driving central force to who we are. And, and then we got around this idea that when you meet truth and you meet love, when you, when you meet the truth of God's word and you marry it with the love of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the leadership of God, when truth and love meet, you want to grow, right? You, you, you get growth. Growth is of value to us. that We want to become something more. It's like when you have a big old bowl of ice cream, you want more, right? You don't go, oh, no, one little bite's enough. You're crazy, right? Give it to me, right? And when you meet God like this, and the truth of God mixes with the love of God in your life, you say, I want more of him in my life. Listen, it is normal that when you become a Christian, that you grow, that you change, that you move forward in these areas of life. That he becomes more and you become less. And, and so there are; those are the kind of the three starting ones. And, and there are six other uh, values that I want to get around. And that leaves me about thirty minutes. So I got about five minutes for each value. So I'm just going to kind of throw these at you. Is that good? Can I just throw these at you? And here are the first three for today: uh, numbers four, five, and six for us. It's this: is that we believe in passion, relevance, and excellence. Passion, relevance relevance and excellence. Uh, We want to passionately pursue the plans and purposes and the power of God. Listen, we don't want to just come into church and go, oh, I love this song. Well, if you love it, why don't you tell your face, right? I mean, really passion right passion is what moves people passion is what drives people and it often is what attracts us to anything in life like you you may not even be interested in something that somebody does but if they're passionate about it you're like going I'm checking that out because it drives this person listen friends when people walk in these doors they may not believe it but they better know that we believe it do you hear me they may not believe it but they better know that we believe it Because passion does something to stir the human emotion. Passion does something to to move people toward the truth. There was this preacher, one of the most famous preachers in history, about 150 years ago, uh, preached in the greatest city on earth at the time, was London, one of the largest churches. It was the largest church in the world at the time. And uh, he was asked, why do literally tens of thousands of people come to hear you preach every single week? And you know, his answer was so simple, uh, but it was so good. He goes, well, I guess it's because they want to come and watch me burn. Everybody likes a good fire. It's true, right? When somebody believes it, When somebody is on fire, you want to come and watch them burn. There's something attractional to a fire that's lit. There's something attractional to passion, right? Now, what's interesting is that same chapel that used to be literally tens of thousands of people, the largest church on planet Earth at the time, is literally vacant today. You can go, Metropolitan Church, London, England. It's virtually vacant today. And friends, why is that? Because somehow the fire of God left that Place and, and friends, listen, if you, don't, um, if you don't see that it is real in our life, if people come into this place and they don't think it's real to us, uh, that it, if it's not an all-consuming fire in us, then we deserve to die a death as a church. We don't deserve to remain around as a church. I think one of the, the reasons that uh, people are leaving churches by the droves is because the fire of God has died years and years ago, And they just haven't got around to doing the burial for the church yet. That's all. And the fire of God leaves. Things go down very, very quick. And so, friends, if there is no passion, you hear me, friends? If there is no passion and there is no relevance, and that's really our next value, then it is downhill for us. Relevance matters. Relevance matters deeply to us. Uh, We want to connect God to real life. Are you following me, friends? When you walk into here, we don't want you to walk into some sort of time warp, like you're in some sort of alternate planet or something like that. We want to connect God to, to real life. We want to connect God to people in a way that they can understand. And, and it's not hard to understand why folks are leaving churches, right? You get this. And I don't want to pick on any one church. I'm just saying it's just not hard to see why people are leaving churches by the droves. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. They, the, the Spirit of God stirs something in the heart of a person, moves something in the heart of, the, of a person, and, and God begins to light something in, in them, and they go to God's house, to God's place, like a church like ours, to come in to find him. But when they walk in here, they find no life. They find that it is that it's boring, and it's irrelevant to, to who they are. It's, it's like they've walked back in time somewhere, and, and, and it's just not for them. And friends, listen, I'm not completely talking about the way that churches dress or the way that they look, even though I think that's important, right? I'm not even talking about the music and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, a little bit I am, but I think about this, about with music. Where else in all of culture do you, do, do you listen to songs that are two, three, four hundred years old? Come on, where? Nowhere but the church. Do um, you guys remember pews? Anybody grew up in the old old church? Like I, I, I mean, certain parts of the old church were so good, but some parts just didn't make sense. Like, You know what a pew is? Anybody know what a pew is? There are these, <laughs> they are these wooden benches that you sit on for two hours and listen to some guy talk to you. Now, let me ask you a question. Where else, other than church, do you see anywhere in our culture that they have a wooden bench for you to sit on for hours? Court and nobody wants to end up in court. Am I right? And so this idea of relevance is is really important, but I'm talking about something way more than than just having the, the right lights. Listen, you can come into a church like this and you can have a nice stage and nice lights and nice video and nice music, and it can be relevant, 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 but it's really not relevant because I'm talking about a whole different level of relevance. One of our core values is that when you come in here And God's word is taught and presented that whatever happens here, it matters deeply in your life, that it's relevant to you, that it moves you somewhere, that it challenges you to become something more, that it connects deep in your soul. We want faith to come alive in people. We want people to know that their faith matters and that Faith that you gain in here and that you grow in here is to be lived out out there. That it's to be, that it's to fill your soul in such a way that it transforms your heart. So this idea of relevance is more than just having the right look or even though all that kind of stuff can be important. It's way bigger than that. It's talking about issues of life that really, really matter. So relevance matters. Amen. Are are you with me, friends? This is so important. And here's, here's the uh, third value, and it kind of takes this whole idea of passion and relevance, but it must be executed in a way that is excellent. Be- excellence is a value. One of the things that we've been saying, and we've been picked on this over and over uh, over the years about this, but, but, they, but P- this really is true, that excellence matters. And we have a little saying that says, excellence honors God and inspires people. I believe that with all my heart. Excellence honors God and it moves the hearts of people. It does something when you see something done with such excellence, you go, wow, at least you are engaged. At least you think about it. Now, can I be just completely honest without you, with you, without you like judging me and leaving our church over this? Okay, I'm going to just throw it out there. If I was to be completely honest, um, I cannot tell you how disappointed... Uh, I have been completely disappointed. I have been over and over at the quality of the experience when I walk into a local church. Over and over for the last 30 or 40 years of my life. And I'll tell you why. Because excellence really does matter. When you walk in and you see bathroom, like think about that, you invite somebody to go to church with you, that, that you're hoping that they meet God. And the bathrooms are dirty. You go, what? Or the maintenance is done so poorly. Or the building has trash and clutter all over. It's like they haven't changed the paint color since 1964 or something. Right? That the, that the furniture or the, the image of the whole place is just completely lost. Right? It's just completely out of step with where, where, where culture is. And let me tell you something, friends. This is important. Because when you bring somebody, you hope that the band is actually singing on key. Am I Right? You hope that the van can actually keep on tempo, right? Because it matters. It matters deeply. We have a whole ton of people in this church, many of you who volunteer week in and week out to be on our clean teams, to be on our maintenance teams, because you realize something. You realize that excellence does a whole lot to honor God. But you even believe that when people walk into our buildings, it ought to be inspiring for them to know God that it ought to be a place where they walk in and say, "Woo, I wouldn't mind hanging out here. And what's our hope, friends? So that they hear the message of Jesus. why it matters. And so this idea of passion and relevance and excellence, they're like three key ingredients to our DNA. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. Uh, But before we get to that journey, I want to actually read one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible to apply. And I think people get it wrong all the time, but I think we're going to go deep here and it's okay. Y'all good with this for a second? I want to read something to you that is so important, I think it'll shed some light on these three core values for us. Um, it's found in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is the writer. He's established this church, and now he's writing a letter back to them because, like, like some of us, They got off of their core values and they needed a comeback. And so Paul begins to write to them about what's really important, about what really matters and how they should treat each other and how they should be thinking about life and how they should be thinking about what goes on in the life of the the church. And he gets to this section in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's really over chapters 12, 13, and 14. He starts talking about these gifts, and they're called spiritual gifts. You ever heard of this? Anybody in the room ever hear these things called spiritual gifts? A lot of confusion about these spiritual gifts. But but God wants to, let me just t- tell you what I think it is. God wants to empower his followers through these gifts that he gives to the Holy Spirit of God. He, he wants to take what you have and what you are, and he wants to lift them and, 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 and infuse them with a special power that is from him. Th- these are called spiritual gifts. Well, the problem is, is that when you start, uh, talking about spiritual gifts, and you start getting around church people or churches. Um, I don't mean to pick anybody, but, but it gets weird. Anybody ever been around some situations where it just gets a little bit weird? I, it, it's true. And if you think I'm weird, you haven't seen anything yet, because there are weird Christians. Okay, <laughs> and so, uh, but but listen, I have literally been in certain groups of Christians where things just got crazy. I mean, like literally people rolling on the ground and, and they're laughing and they're saying God is making them roll and God is making them laugh. Or, or, or maybe you've seen it before where, where people are like praying and somebody comes and kind of prays over somebody and maybe reaches out their hand and everybody falls down. And, anybody ever seen any of this stuff? And you kind of look, especially like if you're an outsider, let's just be honest, you look at it and you go, that's weird. You just go, that's weird right? I mean, you don't even know if it's true or not true. You're not even making that judgment, but you're just going, that's weird, right? I've been in churches, no kidding, where I've been sitting out there and like doing my thing and trying to pay attention to what's going on. And people have literally gotten up and they run in circles around the whole place. I mean, they're running and running and running. And honestly, listen, I want to trip them. I want to put my foot out and trip them. I know that's my dark side coming out, but but, but it's true, right? And friends, listen, to me, And to many people I've tried to bring to church over the years, that's just weird, right? It's just a little bit, I'm not saying if it's true or not true. I'm just saying that the outside world looks in and goes, that's just a little bit strange. And so Paul spends three chapters dealing with, I think, one of the most difficult issues there is to deal with. And at the end of the day, here's what we learn. Here's what we learn. That these gifts from God need to be centered around three things, that they're designed Uh, to love people, that a gift from God needs to love people. A gift from God, second, needs to build people. And the third thing is a gift from God needs to draw people to Christ, draw people to Jesus. And he says in these three chapters that if your giftedness is not rooted in love, every single thing that you do, if it's not rooted in love, we talked about this last week, you are, what is it? You are, come on, help me, nothing you're nothing. If it's not rooted in love, you're nothing. And then he says, and and if it doesn't build up people, then it is just weird. It's just crazy. It's nothing. And he says, if it doesn't draw people to Jesus, then it is a waste. It is a waste. It is a gift. Like if they're up here just jamming their instruments and it doesn't move your heart, then it is a waste. And if we're up here doing this or our kid workers or any other part of who we are, If it doesn't draw you to Jesus, then it is a waste, it says. And so Paul begins to write about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to read this to you. And again, this is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. But with this understanding, I think it'll become very clear what he's trying to say to us and to our church. Okay, here's what he says. Verse 6, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, that's us. That includes everybody in the room. Brother or sister, okay? This is for you. If you're part of the church, if you're here in the church, this is what it's supposed to be, okay? He says, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, would that help you? Would it? Brothers and sisters, would it? No. Like, like you don't want my version of Spanish. Even if you spoke Spanish, it'd be useless to you, right? But if I was to come up here and just kind of jibber-jabber about all kinds of things and kind of speak my own language or even talk about issues that you didn't even understand or whatever, it would be useless to you. It wouldn't draw you to Jesus. And he says, that's a big problem. I shouldn't come and speak in a language that's not known to you. How would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. So in other words, if you ever come into this place? And you might have been hurting about something or thinking about something. Let's just, let me just ask. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here. Have you ever gone, whew, that was for me? Anybody? Will you just walk out of here going, I don't know what happened. Did my mother email him? Because that was completely about me. Because it was useful to you. It was relevant to you. And here, here's what he says next. He says, even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must be played with, uh, with notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know uh, they are being called into battle? It is the same thing for you, Mr. Church people. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty spaces. So if you walk in here and some dude comes in off the street and you're like saying hello and you're like, oh brother, it is so good to have you in the house of the Lord. It is a sanctuary, the sweet spot of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is going to sanctify you and transformation is going to come over you and you're going to be renewed into the deepest parts of your, they're going to be like yada, yada, yada. Right? You're just speaking into empty space because you're living in a different world. It's not connecting to them. And so Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. He says this, he says, there are many different languages in the world and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it to me. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have these special abilities from the spirit of God, seek those things that will strengthen the whole church. In other words, be passionate. Listen, doesn't this make sense now? Be passionate, relevant, and excellent in, in, in what you do and in what you say because people will get it. So that people will be drawn to God. So that people will grow in their faith. Does that make sense? Is that, are we all together here? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. In other words, I think Paul could be summed up don't let the church be weird. Don't do it. And we've all come from weird churches, and sometimes our church gets weird. And we got to dial it in to what's passionate, relevant, and excellent. And then he says this, listen to this, verse 23, slide down to verse 23. He says, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting, by the way, we are having a church meeting. This is what we're doing. We're meeting together as a church, right? And and they hear everyone speaking in some sort of unknown language. Will they not think you are crazy? I didn't say you're crazy. Paul says you're crazy, right? You're weird. He says, and don't be that that kind of a church, he says, don't let the church be the very thing that pushes people away from faith. The church ought to be the drawing place. You should feel confident every time you invite a friend that no matter what the experience is, when you come into these doors, that it's going to matter to them, that it could draw them to Christ. You should feel confident about your church like that. And that's why we try to do what we do. Listen, church shouldn't make people feel like outsiders before they even have a chance to become an insider. Oh, that was so good. Pastor Jay, I meant to clap or something, but I just couldn't get it out. Church should not make people feel like outsiders before they even have a chance to hear the truth mixed with love. Something we got to get right in a big, big way. Passionate, relevance, and excellence. So here I want to take you on a journey. Let's just pretend for a moment that, um, let's pretend that um, your your heart is troubled and that you're not a follower of God. You're not like a church guy. Um, But you know something is missing in your life. And and let's just pretend that... um, uh, a friend at work it invites you to church one day. He knows you're struggling. He knows you're hurting, and he comes to you and he says, "Hey man, I know it's a little bit weird, and uh, or hey lady, I know it's a little bit strange, but you know I can't help but notice things seem heavy in your life. Things seem broken in your life. And I, I'd love to invite you to church." And they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm not so much a church guy, and now you're trying to push this religion." No, no. You go, no, 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 no. This guy says, "No, no, no, no. Not that at all." it's a different kind of a church, and you might be really pleasantly surprised. Why don't you just come? I mean, what do you got to lose? Just come. And so you're sitting there thinking, you're like, all right, what do I have to lose? And so you say, okay, I'm going to try this. And so you say, where is the church? And your friend says, well, it's a church next to Hooters and Home Depot. We like orange a whole lot. Yeah, it's, it's like we're into orange. And so, uh, yeah, come and, and check it out. I think you might be pleasantly surprised. Well, how do I dress, man? I've heard that at churches you've got to dress all kind of weird. No, 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 man, just come as you are. Put clothes on, that's important, but, but come as you are, you know. And, and, and they come. Now, just imagine if you're this unchurched person. Just put yourself in this position again. For some of us, it's been 20 or 30 years that we can remember this. But we got to remember, they come walking in the door and just pretend for a moment that they are met by people at the front door that open that door and smile at them and say, man, we are so glad that you're here. We're so glad. And, and, and maybe you're a mom and, uh, and you got like three kids and you're towing them in and it's raining outside. Imagine if somebody walks out and says, hold on, let me help you, let me help you, get you inside. Let's get, oh, you got kids, let me, let me take you to the kids. What would, what would be on your mind as soon as you walked in? You'd be going, well, at least, uh, at least I know that I'm wanted here. At least I know I can come check this place out. At least I know they're not pushing me out the door because I thought when I got here, they'd push me out the door because I haven't been to church in 25 years, and, and I thought it would collapse on me. But the door has been open to you. First five team, what you do is so important. Come on. What you do is so important. Yeah. And imagine you, you get a whiff of Baxter's coffee, and you're going, what is that? You know, and then your friend walks over and says, oh, I'm so glad you made it. I wasn't sure you were going to come. Let me let me buy you a coffee. And then you go over and get in Baxter's Line, and you're going, uh, what, kind of, what kind of church has a cafe? Our church does. Because guess what? We're Christians that like food. That's what we do, right? I mean, you, you it makes sense, right? Because that person, if this is you... Everywhere you go in all of culture, you can buy a coffee everywhere, right? And so why would it be any different in a church? So you get your coffee, and then all of a sudden you hear, dum, 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 and you're like, what is that, right? And that's the band striking it up. And all of a sudden you're going, what is going on in there? Oh, that's the auditorium. We're heading there right now. And they, they grab that coffee and they pull it in. You can bring the coffee in here. Yeah, we spill it everywhere. It's ridiculous. But, 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 but you come in and all of a sudden you walk in and the room's a little bit dim and it's a little bit dark. And now you have found your, yourself on, on, on a chair and you're just kind of going, what in the world? This is the craziest thing ever. Because like when I was in church last, there was some guy up there and he had a robe and there was this like lady on this organ thing and Whoa, this is, this is different. This is really different. And you're trying in your mind to process, is this a good different or a bad different? And you're kind of working through all this and that opening song, you're kind of going, "Wow, well, that band's kind of, that's, they're not really that bad. I mean, really, that's, that's actually kind of good. And all of a sudden there's like a video that rolls and the lights go down and it gets dim in the room. Have, have, have you ever seen our videos? Anybody? Come on, have you? it is unbelievable, isn't it? And let me tell you something. They're not meant to engage, uh, entertain you. They are meant to engage you. Because when you see some of the stories and when you see some of the stuff that goes on in our video team puts out for us, you, you just can't help but be drawn in. Am I right? I mean, am I right? Like you can ignore the preacher up front, but when that video starts, you're like, whoa, right? And, and then some guy who, who, a young kid comes up there and he's not nearly as good looking as the lead pastor who comes up later, but but uh, he comes up there, and that, guy, that guy's not bad. He's full of life a little bit. And you're thinking, wow, that guy's sort of like me, and he likes kind of the things I like. And wow, this isn't church. And, and then the lights go dim again. <laughs> and music starts to play. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I think music is something special in the human story. There is something that stirs deep in the heart of people when the right people do the right kind of music in the right kind of environments. It does something to move you. And you're here and you're like brand new and you're like, I don't know if I understand all that they're singing about. I don't even know if I agree with any of it. But all of a sudden I'm like going, I kind of like this. And there's something different about it. And you're processing these words and you're processing the feeling. And you're looking across and going, what are these people doing? What? What? what are they reaching for? Right? And your heart is being opened a little bit at a time. And, and when you realize by the time the, there's a, you know, the preacher man gets up there, it hasn't been about your money. It hasn't been condemning you. It's been welcoming you and inviting you. And, and you're used to things like this in culture. And, and then somebody gets up there on stage and and they start to talk about things that really matter in life, like, like your, your anger that you have been struggling with since you were a kid or your addictions or your broken marriage or your failed relationship with your children. And you're going, wow, how did he know about me? Anybody in the room ever feel like, like it was about you? Anybody? And you just felt like, I don't even know how it happens, but like when I come in here, it, it, it's about me. It is because it's relevant. It matters in life. Listen, friends, this is the kind of church we want to become, where it is passionate, where it is, where it is relevant, and it is done in a way that is excellent because why? It will honor God, and it will inspire people to know him. This is why we want you to serve. This is why we want you to give. This is why we want you to invite. This is why we want you to pray. Because what we do here really does matter. Amen? Amen? And so, I want you to think about this, and because this all dovetails right into our next set of values. I'm going to just fly through these. I'll spend most of the time on the first one. It, it, the next three, without these next three, uh, the first three that we just talked about will never work. They hinge on each other. And the next three are this, is that we believe in risk, we believe in reaching, and being together. Risk, reach, together. Risk, reach together. And I want to dial into this risk thing for a moment because we need to risk much in order to reach more. We need to risk much as a church in order to reach more. We want to risk. We want to follow God's leadership. Let me tell you something, friends. What would God do among us if every single person who called Metro a home decided to seek the leadership of God? And that as God led you, you would obey it that you would risk it, that you would say, okay, God, I'm in. I will serve. I will go. I will do what you want me to do. I think God would do extraordinary things. He would meet us in our risk. He would meet us in ways that you never even dreamed possible. Uh, There is this very short passage found in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14, and it is a story of Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul, who is the best friend of David, son of Saul, best friend of David. David was not yet king at this time. And and Jonathan is one of the leaders in the armies of Israel. And he is battling against the Philistines. But here's the problem. Uh, Saul, the father, the king, has led the armies of Israel to battle against the Philistines. God has led them, and Saul camped them out and did nothing for months and months and months. And every day they get up and they look at the other army over there and go, I thought God told us to go attack those people and to kick them out of our land. What are they doing here still? Every day, over and over, they did nothing. Finally, One day, Jonathan is stirred by the heart of God to go do something. And here is how it reads. This is so fascinating to me. It says, Jonathan speaking. He says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. That's the Philistines over there. Jonathan said to his armor bearer. The armor bearer is the only guy who knows what's gonna happen here. He's like the right-hand man. It's kind of a stinky job. His job is to stand in front of Jonathan with a shield as Jonathan fights around him. Isn't that kind of a stinky job? Yep, you're given a shield, but no sword to fight with, right? And, and so this is, this is this guy's job. And Jonathan says to him, perhaps, now listen to me, listen to me. He says, perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps, maybe, if we're lucky, maybe God could, maybe God will. We're not really sure, but perhaps God will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether with many warriors or with only a few. And you got to love that, right? you got to love this because he says, all I know, all I know is that God did not create me to sit around and do nothing with my faith. God did not create me to sit around here and just watch every day. God called me to do something and I don't know, but the risk is worth it because maybe God will show up. Maybe it's possible that he might do something greater in me and through me than I ever dreamed possible. But if not, I don't know. But all I know is I'm not going to sit here anymore. And do nothing. And listen, friends. If, if Jonathan knew absolutely that God would meet him, then it would require no faith, right? Right? But here's what we learn over and over. When you step out, God steps in. When you move forward, God moves. God meets you in the risk. When you say, God, I'm not really sure. I'm not even sure. All I know is I can't live like this anymore. All I know is that you've been talking to me about this or about that. And you've been calling me to this. Or, you know, I keep hearing about this in the church. I got to get involved with that. And I, I don't think I'm the right person. God says, doggone it. Would you just do something? Would you move? I didn't create you to sit around and be unengaged as the world slides idly into hell. But do something, and here's what people say: well, I'm not sure I'm qualified. I'm not sure if I do this, I'm going to screw it up. It's somebody else's job, and you think it is my job. You think it's a man's job. You think it's somebody else's job. It's your church. It's your church. I, can I just remind you? Can I just remind you that God steps up and uses people who risk much? Did, did you remember a guy named Moses? Moses stuttered and said, "God, I, I'm not your guy. I can't speak to a crowd." Oh yeah? God says, I choose you. David, his armor didn't fit when he was a kid, right? He goes in front of Goliath and he gets this armor and it's oversized. He goes, I can't fight in this, but he goes out and fights anyways, right? The prophet Hosea was married to a prostitute. Noah, he had a drinking problem. Amos, who became a great preacher and prophet from God, you know that he was a prune tree farmer, completely underqualified to do anything, right? Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was consumed with his wealth. Abraham was old. Naomi was a widow. Jonah was disobedient. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas, they were both doubters. Jeremiah, the great prophet, he was suicidal and struggled with depression all of his life. Elijah struggled with depression. Timothy had a stomach full of ulcers. Paul was a murderer. And by the way, so was Moses and so was David, right? Peter was was a, a coward and denied Jesus. Lazarus was dead for crying out loud. And God used him. God used him. And John the disciple, he was self-righteous. And John the Baptist, you realize he was fashion challenged? And he had a huge eating disorder. It's crazy. Jesus, our Lord was homeless. He says he had no place to lay his head. He said he was a pauper, a man who worked with his hands in carpentry. It says that even his own family turned on him. His own own community turned on him. And by the end of life for him, the whole world turned on him. And his own government crucified him. Friends, I am convinced that you do not need to be qualified to let God use you. You just have to say, here I am. I'm so glad that God doesn't require a job interview. (laughs) What he requires is a heart that says, I'm in. And I'm willing to risk much in order to reach more. I want to be used by God. Let me tell you something, friends. That's when he meets us. When we are uncertain, that's when God does his very, very best work. And, friends, here's why we need to risk it's for our next value, it is so that we can reach more. We don't want to do things just to do things. We don't want to say things just to say things or buy things just to buy things. We want to risk much so that we can reach more. Let me me tell you something, friends. I I don't want to be part of a church that just hopes that we stay in business. I don't want to be part of a church that that just hopes to make, make it through the next bill cycle. I don't want to be part of a church that says, well, I hope when we get older that our kids will come back here. Friends, I want to go after the lost. I want to go after people. That's the kind of church I want to be that we re- risk much in order to reach more. Uh, friends, let me say something. I something was just said a couple weeks ago to me. Um, Metro is one of those seeker-friendly churches. You ever heard that? Anybody ever hear that about us? You're one of those seeker churches. You kind of water it down, and it's not really about Jesus and the Bible and God and all that. It's just kind of water, water, water. Nothing makes, mm, makes me so mad. You know what makes me mad? It's because we're not seeker friendly. You know what we are? We're seeker obsessed. You hear me? We want to reach people. We want to reach people who are far from the heart of God. And let me tell you something. We will do anything short of sin. We will never compromise the word of God, but we will do anything short of sin to reach them. We want to drag them in. We want to drag them in kicking and screaming if we have to, because we believe with all of our hearts, with everything that is in us, that, that God changes eternity. God changes the human heart, that God wants to reach people, all people, starting with lost people. People go, well, what about me though? I've been like a Christian for 20 years. Let me tell you something. When you start to live out your faith and you start to give like God calls you to give and to care like God calls you to care and to, to serve like God calls you to serve, when you engage the game and you help reach the lost people, you will grow like you have never, ever grown before. You will will not regret it. God will show you more of himself every single time that you step out to become part of God's move on earth. And God's move is to reach all of humankind. That is why we reach locally and that is why we reach globally. We need to risk much in order to reach more. And here's what the scripture says in the book of Acts uh, chapter one, verse eight. Listen to this. It It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will tell all the people about me. Listen, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that includes Taylor, Southgate, Riverview, Romulus, Detroit, Michigan, the north part of our country, the United States and the world around us. This is why we go to Kenya. This is why we go to Haiti. This is why we go to Colombia. This is why we go right down the road and across the world to reach people, to reach people. And friends, we need to do this together. We need to do this together. We are better together. You cannot grow in your faith if you stay on the outside. If you just come and observe and check it out, go, oh, that was such a nice little song. Oh, that was such a nice little pep talk. You will never grow your soul like that. Friends. We are better together. Step in. Let's build God's kingdom together. Here's, here's where we're going to end. Just listen to this. One very simple verse out of the book of John. Jesus himself speaking, he, he says this. He says, I pray. Listen to this. He says, I pray that, that they, that would be me and you, that we would be, what is this word? Come on, what is it? Yeah, One. Jess, as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Let them be one. And may may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. We're better together. And friends, that's the kind of church I want to be. Are you with me?